The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Hi, and welcome to 5G Talent Talk. I'm Carrie Charles, your host, and I am so glad that you are here today. I have with me Rob McGee. He is the Senior Vice President of Qantas Services. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk, Rob. Thank you very much. So I want to know a little bit about how you got to where you are today. And I know that when we talked a couple of weeks ago, you said that you had a very interesting background. And I want to hear that story. Yeah, so I didn't set out a course to become a telecom professional or even work in telecom at all. I've actually studied like philosophy and psychology and was intended to go to law school. And that didn't really materialize. In mid to late 90s, I was married and my wife and I were about to have our first kid. And I was working construction while I was kind of studying for the LSAT or trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And I needed insurance really bad. That was basically it. So I had some family members that worked at GTE and they said, we can get you a job that pay it's probably going to suck, but the insurance benefits are fantastic. So I jumped into GTE as an IBW technician, and that pretty much set a course. Within three or four years, I was pretty much addicted to it, had found kind of what I think was my niche, and I understood kind of what was going on a little bit. I was basically like kids today. If you take a 15-year-old kid today and you hand them an iPad, they intuitively know how to use it. Well, Back then, I could basically work a computer better than the majority of the people that were been there 20, 25 years and understood the DAXs and different fiber terminals and was just able to figure them out a little bit more quickly than them. So I think I was kind of the geek early on. And then just from there, took a variety of different positions throughout network, mostly central office and heavy transport and transport distribution. And eventually went into management and it kind of just kept moving. And I felt like I had a basic premise of do every job like it's the last job you'll ever have. And it seemed to work well. And then somebody always came along and asked me to do something a little bit bigger. So it's it's been an awesome journey. And I don't think it's near over. I've been doing this for, I think, like 27 years. And I don't really feel old and I plan to keep doing it. So I worked, I was just under 25 years at what was GTE and then ultimately became Verizon. And that presented just a ton of opportunities. I got to kind of jump around to a variety of different technologies, you know, power space and frame, central office switching, transport. And then toward the end of my time at Verizon, I transitioned into wireless and I wouldn't put myself in the category of a wireless expert, but I would say learned enough to be dangerous and kind of well made me a little bit better rounded in regards to how telecommunication works end to end. And also something that really made you rounded was your psychology background, because I'm sure that that's serving you well as a leader and especially in this talent market. It was an unintended benefit, I would say. I didn't realize the technology, I think I just kind of had a niche for that. And I learned that on the fly. Plus, I had some really fantastic training throughout my career. 
But then as I moved up and got into higher levels of leadership, I mean, understanding how people work and what drives people was huge. And then I was also in the army and got a really good mix of leadership training there and got an opportunity to see how people respond to different leadership style. You know, I've always look at every leader I've had as well. Even the bad ones are great examples of what not to do. And the good ones, Mm -hmm. you try to steal little nuggets from how they operated and how they made you feel. And if you put it all together and really pay attention, you can really make an impact on a large group of employees. Yes. And thank you for your service, Rob. And I love your background. Actually, it's a real background, right? It is not a fake background. It's actually a large flag (laughs) in my office. Yes. Wow. I absolutely love it. So who is Qantas Services? Give us a little bit of information about the company. So I'll give you from my perspective. So I've been at this company for, it's just approaching a year and three quarters. So maybe two years, say late December. So I'll give you my perspective from when I was looking into them when the opportunity presented itself. And it's very complicated. I would say what I thought I knew when I was considering the position versus what I know now is completely different. So Quanta is essentially a roll-up. So Quanta Services is the holding company or the mothership, and it has 250 plus. You can look on our website. That number fluctuates. We do acquisitions pretty rapidly, some small, some large. But when we make an acquisition, the idea is that there's a kind of a term used within Quanta is one plus one equals three. So if we make an acquisition, A, we don't send them a bunch of new stickers for their trucks to say Quanta. We don't send them new ID badges. We don't even ask them to change really their behavior. And we certainly don't want them to change their leadership and the people that run it because that entrepreneurial spirit that grew that company to where it is, is exactly what we're trying to maintain. However, if you add a company, like let's say it's a $30 million revenue company into a company the size of Quanta, which is just approaching 17 billion, you get to feed off of all the other affiliates and you're embedded with other companies that are like-minded that are doing things similar, and maybe they need your help. And it creates an environment that's just extremely powerful. And the other thing that I was fascinated with, not every company appreciates those that start at the bottom. It can be kind of almost looked at as something like, oh, you're in a different class potentially, and maybe you didn't come in in a leadership development program through some fancy university or whatever. So you're kind of in a different class. And I don't know that that's a bad thing. Companies that are looking for extremely intelligent people, it's clearly a good strategy. I wouldn't take anything away from that. But Quanta has a different approach. If you're going to be a senior leader at Quanta, you have to have started at the bottom. I mean, everybody that I work with every day was a craft skill laborer at some point. I mean, nearly 100% of the leadership at Quanta was a craft skill laborer at some point. So they- You're kidding, really? No, it's amazing. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, they don't have some hard rule that says that's a requirement and it's a big company. There's different things that, you know, skills that we need and and that's not going to fill every position, but the culture is extremely focused on craft skill labor and how do you lead and how do you gain the credibility of a group of men and women doing a job in the field when they know you have never done that or don't understand day to day what they are up against. So that to me was probably, it made me for the first time feel really good about having started at the bottom and worked my way up as opposed to kind of trying to hide it maybe at times. Hmm, That's extraordinary. Can you talk a little bit about the, I don't know if you call them divisions of Quanta or 
all the different services that you offer. Yeah, we refer to them as operating units or OPUs. Operating units. So there's basically kind of four categories. The fourth is a little bit new. So we're primarily an electric power company. I mean, electric power transmission and distribution. And I'd say if you looked at our DNA, we're 70, 80% electric power. And then underground utility or kind of oil and gas pipeline work, big pipe and distribution, that's a huge portion of the Kiwana culture as well. And telecom, of course, it's not the biggest segment within Kiwana, but Kiwana understands as an infrastructure company, that's something people would expect from an infrastructure company is that especially, I mean, we dig holes in the ground and drag pipe all day. So why would you not do telecom? So it just kind of makes sense that we do that as well. That telecom actually is the smallest segment within Kiwana, but there are multiple operating units that are leaning into telecom as well. And the newest one is the renewables solar and wind energy. We made a, a relatively large acquisition last year. It's very public, so I'm not sharing anything. Mm-hmm. Blattner, if you look them up, Blattner was one of the largest wind and mm-hmm. solar energy companies in North America, and they're now part of Kwana. So that was a strategic acquisition that was made. And that group, Scott Blattner and that team, I mean, I think we literally were just in a leadership meeting last week. And Scott said, every day that I interact with this group, I, I feel better about the decision to join this team because everybody's very like-minded. So that's the segment. I mean, it kind of spans everything. If you think of infrastructure, I mean, other than roads and bridges, we build it all pretty much. So let's talk about your role at Quanta and also the segment that you lead. Okay. So again, Quanta is very distributed. There's a lot of operating units that really do have a ton of autonomy and the entrepreneurial spirit, you'll hear that term over and over at Quanta is, is encouraged. So it's like, hey, you're part of Kona now. We love you. Go do what you're doing and keep doing that and let us know how we can help. That is probably how the average acquisition goes at Kona, which is to me fascinating to watch. Well, telecom being the smallest of the segments, it was kind of fragmented and on autopilot. And I think if you were to ask Duke, he saw that the customer didn't particularly like trying to navigate the complexities of Kona. So I was fortunate to have been in a meeting or two with Duke Austin, our CEO, prior to ever even considering coming here to work. And just whatever interaction we had, he liked what he saw. I had become a little more familiar with Quana and really was fascinated with the culture and how people acted and behaved. And about a year later, he kind of sent some people out and they found me and we had dinner. And that's kind of how the whole thing materialized. So now what they basically did is I work for Quanta Services. So officially I'm a Quanta Services employee, but I lead the telecom segment. So my job is to create an environment where the client can actually leverage us as one large company instead of having to navigate multiple operating units. I mean, you could imagine they pick any large carrier. They want to do big projects and their projects span coast to coast generally pretty much every telecommunications provider doesn't really consider a geographic boundary for the most part. So if they want to leverage the size of Kwana, prior to my role and how I've kind of adjusted our way of thinking, they would have had to go to Mirrors Broadband, FiberTel, Kwana Telecommunications Solutions, all these different operating units that actually do telecom throughout the country. And they would have had to have navigated each one of them independently. And now what we've done is created kind of a front-end process where we can reach out and interact with clients 
as a large quanta. And then we go back and find the best operating unit to execute on whatever it is that that client needs us to do. And it's really changed how people view us in the industry. And and I'm really excited about it. It's in its infancy still. I started working on it like day one when I got here, because as a former client of Quanta, I knew that was something that needed to be addressed. So that's my role. I lead the telecom segment across all of Quanta and work with the leaders of all the operating units to kind of aggregate our capabilities. So you have another role, Rob, and you're on the board for the Broadband Development Office in Texas. Tell me about that role. What are you responsible for and a little bit about the Broadband Development Office? I'm really excited for that role. It's relatively new. I mean, I've been on it for five, six months since the beginning of this year. But basically, I think everybody knows, I won't go through the list of government funding that's available for broadband in general, but I think everybody generally knows in the industry, there's a lot of money coming out. I think it's very difficult for people to articulate what all the acronyms mean and how much is equated to each one and where the money's going to go. So the NTIA, basically a segment of the FCC, requested or demanded that each state create a broadband development office. And that office is designed to interact with the federal government to take in the funding at a state level and then distribute it based on some guidelines that are established by the federal government. So I am one of the board of directors for the Texas Broadband Development Office. And that's exactly, you can look up BEAD timelines and it'll kind of tell you different things that are happening. Basically the government says, do you want the money? Our job is to say yes. Then they're going to say, what are you going to do with the money? We have to provide a five-year plan. So that's the type of interaction that every state's going through right now in order to distribute this cash. So we've got the money. We need the people. And we know that that's a very hot conversation right now with all companies as well as municipalities trying to figure this out. So I want to discuss these workforce shortages in telecom. And when I speak to leaders all over the United States, I hear we need more training. We need to engage trade schools. We need development programs to bring more people into the industry. And we need to get the word out about the industry so more young people know that the career option for them. So what are your thoughts on this as a solution and any other ideas based on your experience or your perspective on solutions? I've been involved even recently with some large-scale training programs that different groups are trying to establish. And Quanta actually has a line college, Northwest Line College. I'll throw a plug out for them. It's an Idaho-based university. I mean, it's accredited. They can provide student loans. They can take military GI bills. So it's a legit line college. So I get a front row seat to see how kind of it goes. And I would say at a minimum... We're missing the mark. I mean, completely. If you do a root cause analysis, I mean, like this is what I would ask. I actually just had a call with the NTIA at the beginning of the week. I was fortunate enough that they reached out just looking for industry perspective. I'll share exactly what I shared with them. So they've already created the solution. The solution is more training and they didn't do a root cause analysis. I mean, if you do a root cause analysis on this, the root cause is one layer below that. You have to motivate somebody to want to be in that industry and then make the training available for them. So I'm not taking away from any efforts associated with providing training and for telecommunications. I mean, for sure, I think that's hugely important. But more importantly than that, every young man and woman that's looking to enter an industry is going to look at a return on investment. 
if they don't, I, I wish they would ask somebody and that's what they should be doing. I mean, everybody should be doing that. There's the whole do what you love thing and you'll never work a day in your life. But when you look at our industry, whether it's power, gas, or telecom, you're poking holes in the ground and you're dragging pipe around. So you could jump around to any one of those three and feel like the skill set that you have is appropriate for that particular segment. So then if that's the case, then you're going to pick the one that's going to give you the best return, which everyone's going to pay the best. Well, electric power has been subsidized by the government since I think it's the 1936 Telecom Act. I just pulled that out of thin air, but I think that's accurate. The 1936 Telecom Act was like the hugest subsidization of power, and it's been subsidized ever since. They're going to pay to make sure every human being in the United States has access to power. Mm -hmm. So with that, power companies, they can operate in a little bit of a different financial space. I mean, there's stuff to make money. They still have to operate efficiently and I won't take anything away from the complexities of running a power company, but it's very, very different than if you compare it to a telecom that's literally building a business case that mm -hmm. if the capital investment is too high or the rate of return is too slow or too low, they just simply won't do it. So over the course of the last, I'd say 25 years, my career pretty much, I've watched the whole thing fortunately or unfortunately, I guess, depending on how you want to look at it, it's driven the cost of labor down in telecom. So you can have a human being climbing the same pole, doing very similar work or running the same bore rig. The bore rig doesn't know if it's pulling power or telecom. I mean, the operator don't care either. You're drilling a hole in the ground and you're pulling something back. So if one of them is paid substantially higher than the other, then that's where people are going to go. Now, that's not a bad thing either, because if you flip-flop it to the power segment, they're desperate for craft skill labor as well. So I don't want to take anything away from them. I want them to get all the skilled laborers they can. But the reality is if your telecom professional is consistently making $10 an hour less than your power professional, then mm -hmm. you're going to have a hard time motivating people to lean into that as a curriculum. So I think that's the key. And I think it's not a doom and gloom deal. I think if you look at some of the funding sources that are being handed out by the federal government, that's a good step. And I'm not a big fan of federal spending. And I embrace capitalism more than probably anybody you ever met. But in this particular instance, it's unique. And telecom it does not operate well from that perspective. You'll always have investment in areas where your return is going to be good. If you have nice neighborhoods, nice bedroom communities, it's kind of a no-brainer. Put fiber there, people are going to buy broadband and life is good. Those aren't the areas that need to be addressed. And the funding requirements, you'll see that. It's the urban areas that have been deprived of fiber infrastructure for years because simply people do an analysis and say the likelihood of people purchasing broadband or the average revenue per unit in those parts of town are generally going to be less. So they just don't build it there. They've nothing drives them to, nothing forces them to. Well, now I think if you can find a silver lining in this whole pandemic, that's the silver lining is it opened everybody's eyes to the fact that broadband does sit almost equal to power and electricity for somebody's home. I mean, without it, you're depriving people of education, the ability to work remotely, which is a requirement in many cases, and even healthcare that can be taken care of via teleconference or internet sites. So I think fortunately, a lot of things are in place. It's still convoluted and complicated, and it's yet to be seen how efficiently we can disseminate those funds and how efficiently we can deploy broadband with them. But I think we're generally heading in the right direction. But interesting yes. fact, though, that, yes. that people don't get. There's not a single community in the United States that has more than one power company. 
That's an interesting dynamic. If you think about that, literally, there is no community in America. Mm-hmm. I've tried to find it. If there is, if somebody tells me I'm wrong, I'd be interested. You may be able to pay a bill to a variety of people, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the actual infrastructure, who owns it, who operates it, care and feeds it and expands it. That's one company in every community. Telecom is a hot mess. Maybe it's a cable company. Maybe it's an old ILEC. Maybe somebody came in with private equity cash and decided to overlay because they thought it was a good financial return. So it's a hot mess and it confuses everybody. It makes it very complicated to fund broadband growth into areas that have otherwise been deprived of it. And it's just far more complicated than electric power. That's what I would lean into is make it less complicated. That is so fascinating. I love that perspective. I really haven't heard that before, but it makes a lot of sense. And here's why. From the staffing perspective, right? When we staff craft skilled labor, they seem to be more sensitive to compensation than let's say manager or director levels and above. Would that be so? And if that's true, then yes, it would make sense that we need to pay people or at least pay them enough to motivate them to enter telecom as in that area of craft skilled labor. Would that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it kind of boils down to the simplest solution. I mean, people were coin operated. At the end of the day, we're coin operated. Right. You're absolutely right. I really enjoy this conversation. Let's switch a little bit to culture. I want to ask you to describe the Quanta culture. What makes it unique, different, and what's special about it? Why did you join? For the culture. I mean, for that was it. A lot of factors. I mean, again, I had a fantastic career at Verizon and I could not do what I'm doing now without having spent the time I spent there and working with all the people that I work with there. And I left on the best of terms. I mean, you could imagine I was there half of my life, literally half of my life. So I built friendships and relationships that will be around forever. And I put a ton of effort into leaving on the best possible terms. It was very difficult. I had a great position there. I led, I think it was, there's eight regions. I led one of the regions for the United States for all engineering and construction for fiber transport and radio access network. So it was a position that many people would have sold their soul to get for sure. And I walked away from it. So you could imagine there was something very compelling. A lot of things like my kids are older, so my risk level was a little bit lower. I mean, I'm done paying for college and they're off and I can afford a little higher risk at this point. And I like to build stuff. I mean, the reality is the operators, they design and they manage how they want their networks to be built. But ultimately, when it comes to putting a shovel in the ground or climbing a pole, they hire a general contractor for that. So for me, if I boil down the last 25 plus years of my career... I'm happiest when I'm building big things. There's no question. So here comes Quanta, a company that literally has not lost their focus in the 21 years they've existed, and they just want to build big things. That's all they do. And they don't try to be what they're not. They are, I mean, Duke Austin, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard him say, we're a craft skill labor company, I could probably retire now. I mean, (laughs) that's the culture at Quanta. You get five, 10 leaders in a room And we don't understand that we're simply overhead. That's all we are. We've not swung a hammer or dug a hole or operated a piece of equipment, most of us in years. Although we have and understand it very well, hopefully, we don't do it today. So this company indexes heavily on craft skill labor, understands that without that base, and in our case, it's about 60,000 employees. Without that base of employees, we just simply don't exist. 
And there's no question about mm-hmm. that at Quanta. It's 100% based on craft skill labor. And I think that's a huge component of our culture. Yes. I get asked a lot when I speak about retention. How do you retain craft skilled labor? Is it different than retention of management level and above? So what are your thoughts and what are some ways, let's say retention strategies that you use at Quanta that work for craft skilled labor? I compare it to parenting. It's an interesting dynamic. This is always compare everything to parenting. That's so do I. I do too. <laughs> so if your kids ask you to go somewhere and you don't think it's appropriate, you say no, and they get mad. When they get older, they'll understand that you were trying to maintain a level of control and discipline so that they didn't go off and do stupid stuff. They may have told you at the time they didn't like that level of control. I think employees are very similar. And I don't mean to say control isn't controlling them, but they want structure. They want to see that the company that they're working for has structure and they can perform well on a job because of that structure and they can become part of something bigger. Again, compensation has got to be there, but like, let's just assume for a minute that compensation is equal and it's relatively equal, especially in our world where much of it is union-based. I mean, you're going to get the same pay kind of wherever you go. So I think the leader showing interest in what the person's doing being present on the job and making sure that that job's going well and interacting with the labor force is huge. I mean, you can equate that to everything. Like in the military, it's the same thing. When you had leaders in the military, and I thank you for your service as well, by the way, I know you, you serve as well. Whether you were under somebody that was leading or leading others, the interaction with them, making it clear to them what the mission is so that they feel like they're part of the mission and not just a piece of labor is huge. Yeah. And being there with them every day to talk about different ways and listen to them. They do the job every day. I mean, how arrogant is it for us as leaders to think that we have an answer better than the human being or men and women that are doing it every day. So if you listen and they can see their ideas being implemented in the execution of that mission, I just don't think you'll ever lose people. I mean, some are going to jump for a variety of personal reasons or whatever, but the workforce as, as a whole will stay based on that. And then the other thing is, is the company healthy? Wherever you work, even the lowest level employee is going to Google them and read up a little bit on what the investor community is saying or what does the outlook look like? And everybody wants security too. So maybe go make a few extra bucks by jumping ship and it maybe it lasts three to six months, maybe a year. But if you're really raising a family and trying to hitch your wagon to something that's long-term and really get invested, you'd be hard-pressed to find something better than Quanta. Well said. Rob, I'd really love to know more about your leadership style and what you think the characteristics are of a great leader. And maybe you can throw in there also how you develop your leaders. Yeah. So I was very fortunate to have, again, whether it be the military or my professional career, just really good people around me that I could emulate. And one of the things somebody told me early on is everybody has an ego So don't ever claim you don't have one. It's a matter of who you allow to feed it. So I feed my own ego. Like it's a little bit arrogant at times, I think, but whatever. Like I believe I'm as cool as I believe I am. And I'm not looking for somebody else to validate that. So with that, when I surround myself with people or when I hire people, I really am truly trying to find somebody smarter than me 100% of the time. And then when they do cool stuff, I defer all that credit to them 100%. And I've always done this and I've watched people that don't. And I really feel sorry for them because it's really their insecurity that drives that. But when you can really, truly be secure 
and know that you have the intuition to build good leadership around you and your subordinates. And they do awesome stuff and you defer that talent, that credit to them 100%. Then what happens is what people really notice is you're somebody that can develop fantastic teams. It's like, that's the skill set. So it's the greater good of leadership of not what I contributed, because what I contribute is that one human being is irrelevant. But if I can expand capabilities and create an atmosphere where 15 people are operating in a similar fashion or rowing in the same direction, it's obviously going to have a much greater impact. I've pretty much always been that way. I love deferring. And then unless things go bad, and then when things go bad, you jump on the grenade. I mean, as a leader, you don't defer that. I mean, you take that one all day and that's hard for people to do as well. And sometimes it may have been something you can point to that somebody on your team really botched up and you still take it. You say, Hey, this is what we did. And it's all me because it is at the end of the day, I love it. You get no credit for doing good stuff and you got to be comfortable with that. And when things go bad, it's all you, if you can operate that way and it doesn't damage your ego, you're going to be okay. Wow. That's a good quote right there. And I always say, we always need to look in the mirror as leaders, no matter what, every time there's a breakdown, every time there's a mistake, every time, no matter what the circumstances, we look in the mirror first and gosh, that was brilliant, Rob. So what is your vision for the next five years for your telecom segment of Quanta? It's interesting. So anybody that's interested can go to our earnings right before this, we had our earnings call and the telecom segment came up and one of the questions came to Duke about telecom and its growth. So I'm going to stay aligned with what he said. And it's exactly what our conversations have been all along. We want to grow. Like It's a no-brainer. We want to grow revenue. I mean, it goes without saying. I mean, we wouldn't be in this industry if we didn't want to grow revenue. But it's a complicated growth cycle in telecom. Some of the larger operators, they kind of view it as a sport to beat down general contractors on pricing. We're not interested in playing in that game. We offer skills and solutions above and beyond just human beings that dig holes in the ground. So... The idea is not just to grow revenue, but to grow the perception outside of Quanta that we're a solutions-based company, not just a general contractor. So what I mean by that, especially in today's environment, a lot of this funding is going to go to municipalities. So if you read up on how the funding is going to be distributed, it'll go to municipalities. So imagine you run a city, you're a mayor or a judge that's been appointed in this, and somebody says, okay, you're going to get $30 million to go deploy broadband. And you have no idea what broadband even means, except for the internet at your house. You have no idea. So we have the capabilities. We have an unbelievable ability to engineer. We can do upfront analysis. We can do route optimization to try to make the builds more efficient. So we have all these skill sets within Quanta spread around. And I've had the unique privilege of aggregating them. So now what we're trying to do is go out and show people that we're a solutions-based company. So don't tell me what you want me to do. Because that's no fun. I mean, I'll go do that if you're going to pay me, whatever. We're all coin-operated, like I said. But I want you to tell me what you're trying to accomplish. And let me come in and help you accomplish that. That's what we're trying to be. And I don't think too much about revenue and operating income. Operating income, we're a publicly traded company. So our operating income has got to be healthy enough. It justifies, is the juice juice worth the squeeze? That's kind of the general philosophy on that. So I'll put that to the side and assume that's going to continue to be healthy. But That's the growth strategy is for people to view us as a solutions-based company. We have a lot of very intelligent people that have worked in communications for many, many years. And I think the other thing that we offer, we see a perspective that an operator doesn't see. 
An operator sees it from the perspective of this is how I do it. And this is how I've always done it. So I'm going to continue to do it this way. Well, we see that times everybody we work for. So we can kind of share, not in a way that we violate any NDAs or anything like that, but like we see different methods and techniques and strategies that the whole industry plays in. So we feel like we're positioned very well to help people accomplish what it is they're trying to accomplish versus just send us an RFP and let us bid some units. But again, we'll do that. That's what we do. But our growth strategy in five years is to be a solutions-based provider, not just simply those who dig in the ground. Hmm. You have an exciting future ahead of you, Rob. The timeline's good. I mean, everybody thinks we're in a telecom bubble right now or not. I mean, it's really currently agitated by a couple things, the kind of the 5G race and private equity, just intuitively knowing that investing in broadband is probably going to be a good return because of everything that's going to happen. So the actual government spend that's going to create the legitimate bubble, we're still a year away from that right now. So that's the time frame. We're in the time frame right now where we have to be looking exactly like you said, at how do we staff this workforce? How do we retain it? And how do we create and develop telecommunication professionals? Because there are not enough today. So we have to right. develop them. We're all in. We're 100% all in on that. Our joke in it even is, I don't even need a telecommunications professional. I need a human being that's reliable and has a good work ethic and can learn. That's really what mm-hmm. I need. I'll teach them everything else. I can teach them broadband. And I mean, you give me a whiteboard in two hours, <laughs> I can make anybody an expert on how broadband works. So smart. Rob, I know you're hiring and I know that you probably need so many people to accomplish your goal. So where can we go to find out more about Quanta Services and potentially the jobs that you have available? So wherever you're located in the United States, I would say if you pass a truck on the side of the road anywhere in the United States and it's working on a power line or is about an 80% chance that's a Quanta company. So all of your traditional hiring platforms, you're going to find Quanta companies in them. You can go to quantaservices.com and it lists out all of our different operating units. And eventually the job posting throughout all of our operating units will be aggregated at a Quanta services level. I don't believe it's there. I don't think that's necessarily imminent, but really the jobs are everywhere. I mean, you'd have to go to the Quanta services website and look at all the affiliates and then go look for jobs amongst those affiliates and you'll find them. Like I said earlier, when we spoke, if you're a telecommunications professional or somebody that's interested in getting into it and you hit an application, you can meet those qualifications I just described. You can show that you're reliable and have a good work ethic and you'll show up and do what you say you're going to do. I promise you there's a job for you. Mm. Rob, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for your insights. I know I've learned a lot and thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. You take care. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.